Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's July 28th, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Is it and really the 20th? podcast if we're three days late and we sound like crap? Well, it, it's only one day late, but that's what I'm wondering. Are we lying to them when I say it's the 28th and it's actually the 29th? <laughs> I feel bad. As usual, I got swamped with the, uh, hey, where's the show? <laughs> uh, messages this week. So, sorry, folks. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes I'm traveling. Sometimes Chris needs a new computer. <laughs> Sometimes I forget that we need to do a show, and it just happens that way. So. And sometimes our headsets don't work, so we're recording on the computer mic, which is terrible. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have this fixed by next week. But people don't tune in the Ania podcast for our amazing audio quality. They tune into it for our amazing poker advice. So <laughs> Listen to another show. <laughs> That's my advice. All right, so anyhow, yes, I've been traveling, and uh, for the second year in a row, Chris, I cannot believe this, uh, this is what happens when you make fun of Steelers fans, is because when you go to Pittsburgh, the airlines mess with you. And how do they know? So how do they know? <laughs> I don't know, but you remember last year, I was flying from Pittsburgh to the NEA World Championship out here at the lovely Thunder Valley Casino Resort in Lincoln, California, and uh, my flight got canceled right after they offered me a massive compensation for a bump that I was going to take. And then, because they canceled the flight, I didn't get my compensation. So I had to spend the night in Pittsburgh and flew out the next day. This year, I get to Pittsburgh and get ready to board. We're all in the Southwest Cattle Call line. And they're like, uh, sorry, um, the captain is on another plane right now. <laughs> he got redirected, so we need to wait for him to land and fly here to get you out to where you are. And so anyhow, I got to Phoenix very late, missed my flight. And flew in here yesterday, and then I was just so exhausted that I slept all day and forgot we had podcasts this morning. So that's how my day is going. <laughs> what I really like is that, I mean, basically, you've only been out there for a day. So it's really when you have to get up at eight, you know, it's later. And I'm like, uh, how are you at? Why are you at a store at 730 in the morning? <laughs> I was hungry. <laughs> 730. But yeah, I guess to you, it's 1030 in your stomach. So thanks. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but anyhow, so we're at the Andy Up World Championship, and things are going fantastic out here already, Chris. The first event called a Catapult. I love how um, uh, Director Poker Benner went out here and kind of nicknames these multi-day events out here. Catapult event had 1,588 entries. I think first place was somewhere on 27000 after a deal, so that's not bad for $160 buy-in. Wow. Uh, really kicked us off well here. Um, they were shocked. They got uh, like 160, I think, for 120 or something like that for the Omaha 8 Limit event. Nice. Like, it never happens. 
so things are going well. We're in the middle of the second weekend multi-day event called the Monolith. And um, so far, all the numbers for that are higher than they expected. We get one more flight today before we see how many turn out for that. So things are going great here. And uh, one of the cool things is when I walked into Thunder Valley uh, yesterday was that they had all of the magazine covers from our previous world champions blown up and are displayed around the room, kind of reminding you what you're playing for, you know, in case you're not playing for that. 150,000 or whatever first place is going to be for a main event. <laughs> uh, but that's really cool. Um, so always happy to be back here. And uh, so I'm going to be chilling in the room for the next couple of days before I uh, make my tournament debut Monday morning at the horse event. But uh, if you guys are out here, come out and say hi. And uh, if you're thinking about coming out, go to antiupmagazine.com slash world championship for the schedule structures, hotel discounts, and all that other great information. You're a one-time uh, horse champion in this event, aren't you? Or you're not? Yeah, yes, yes, and I have not had any success since then. So, <laughs> so I think once you uh, win this one, you have to now challenge David Bach to a heads-up uh, horse match. All right, we'll make that happen. I'm sure he'll <laughs> okay. be happy to accept that. <laughs> Come out to Thunder Valley and pay 160 dollars to play me and win a dollars buying tournaments all day long. But, He'll yeah. do it. It's all about the ego in poker, not the money. <laughs> Well, in a much smaller tournament, but we still somehow always mention it on the show, uh, the World Series of Poker main event finished up, and Scott Bloomstein, 25-year-old player from New Jersey who began the final table as the chip leader, is our new world champion, and also Phil Ivey and David Devilfish Oliott were inducted into the Poker Hall of Fame. Uh, a couple of things. One, we already secured an interview with Bloomstein for a profile next month in our issue, so that's pretty cool. He's actually sure. friends with our ambassador, Joe Kim. So that's huge. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, I nailed it on the Ivy thing. I said Ivy first would absolutely get in, but I can't remember if I said Oliot or not. I don't think I did. No, I think um, – I don't think either one was picked that. But uh, but I was kind of like uh, – actually, you know, obviously people listen to the show. I was surprised that, that Ivy was uh, – uh, didn't – everybody else thought he was a shoe-in. Even Matt Savage admitted, hey, Phil Ivy was a shoe-in, so he thought he was uh, competing for one spot. So um, I guess I was wrong on that. Um, again, I mean, the guy is a phenomenal player. He's done a lot in a very short time. So definitely deserving. I just didn't know whether uh, people would hold this uh, – uh, Baccarat thing against him. Apparently not. Apparently not. Uh, Although I hear that uh, like ESPN had done like a few podcasts on the whole Baccarat situation and what happened. And then there was some woman that was helping him, and she had this gambling problem. But her parents were rich, and I don't know. One of our good friends, Eric, who he's playing our home game a lot, and he's a local friend down here to us, uh, told me all about it and said that uh, you know he's he's in our camp. He doesn't think that uh, it's as big of a deal as they think. I mean. How could he be wrong? Is what he thought. I mean, he, they let him do it. It's their they succumbed to all of his requests and whatever. So, but uh, yeah, I didn't think the poker world was going to hold it against Phil Ivey. So I'm glad he's in. And you were right. So now you watched the you watched the whole final table, right? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. So how did it go? I know um, the, the feedback I got from watching people online were, as expected, uh, folks uh, were really hoping for the old guy to win. Uh, didn't work out, but he, think, he finished third or fourth, right? Yeah, it was fourth. And uh, before that, uh, everybody was thinking Ben Lamb was going to take that short stack and run it into a championship, and he took that short stack and ran it into ninth place. <laughs> he ran into exactly where he started. <laughs> um, I only watched a little of the final nine. I watched all of the final three. Um, because it's two different days and, and it's funny because when you, 
when you watched, I watched a little bit of the leading up, like the final three tables and all that. Late at night, it was still on, so I said, "Oh, what the hell, Gene's asleep. I might as well watch some of this." So, um, it's so odd. You see it, and you're like, "Wow, this is going to end like tomorrow if they're at this many tables." But they really milk it. You know, they give them a day off in between. Um, they and then when it got to final three, they had a day off, and you know, they stop it at final three, and so it ended up taking almost a week for the last like ten people. It was crazy. Um, but the final three was, was pretty interesting. Um, it wasn't as, it wasn't like as much as paint drying as it usually is when it gets to that. Um, but it didn't end as fast as, uh, when I went and watched, uh, Reisner, uh, John right. Reisner finished second that year when I went out there for the, the November nine, that thing ended before like eight o'clock, like 10 o'clock or something. We were out of there before midnight. It was crazy. This one went on for a while and, um, there one only one time in history. I, I wrote this in the article for the magazine. Only one time in history has there been two people eliminated on one hand from the final table of the main event, and it happened. Crazy. I think uh, I think it was uh, Scotty Wynn did it in '98 or whatever that was. Um, but in this final table, he had a chance to knock them both out, and he had the best hand going in. Um, the guy uh, Ben Pollock from France. Uh, who had survived a ton of all-ins and played really well. And if anything, they said he had the most experience of those final three easily. He had a ton of caches and final tables and stuff. Um, he he finally pushed it one time too many when he got a little even with Daniel Ott. And he shoved with Queen 10, and Daniel Ott reshoved. And they were only like thirty or 40,000 chips each. So at this point, it wasn't really that big of a deal. But he reshoved with King 9. Mm-hmm. And Bloomstein wakes up with Ace Queen. And he's like, oh, oh, and he hems and haws. And I'm like, dude, you have 220 million or whatever it was. You know, you call and you're wrong. You still have basically 200 million. And uh, he did. He called and he had a chance to knock them both out. And uh, King came in the flop. So Ott was ahead. But they both had chances to hit their Broadway draws. Uh, to eliminate the other one, so he still could have done it, and that would have ended the night at like like ten o'clock their time, or I don't know, it was just crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, but then they went back and forth. But really, Bloomstein dominated, and he did it with great cards too. I mean, there he made one really big bluff where he had the nut flush draw in his hand, and it didn't get there, but he was betting it the whole way, and then on the end he shoved with it. And I think Antonio on the audio on the uh, recording, you know, the broadcast was saying, "Oh, uh, he's going to call here. He's going to call if he, if he really thinks it out. I think he's going to get a call." But he only had pocket eights with an eight of clubs in his hand. There's no way he's making that call. And he didn't. He laid it down. And it was a huge bluff, and the place went nuts and everything. Um, but other than that one play, Bloomstein really just used his huge stack, and that was it. That was what he did, and he got great cards every time he had a hand that he like raised with. He'd flop top pair. It was crazy. And they kept remarking about it on the show, so it was it was a, it was a fun final table, and uh, I think it was you know uh, it was all Bloomstein really, and I'm really glad that we, we got to talk to him. So that'll be in our September issue. Yeah, I always thought it might be interesting that if they were three handed and the chip leader knocked the other two out, because in the past, and I don't know if that was like this year, but in the past they've always scheduled that day for it to be three handed. Yeah. Or I mean, heads up, heads up, heads up. Um, so yeah, if you did the if you knocked them all down, then you're like, I mean, not that I'm, I'm wishing ill will on the ESPN and the World Series for their beautifully designed schedule, but 
um, you know, poker is unpredictable, right? So I always thought that might be interesting, you know, two out in the same hand and then, oh, wait, we're done. We're, we're done? I guess, yeah, we're done. Okay. <laughs> well, I really wanted it to happen when it was a November 9 stuff and they were knocking two outs for the final hand and it'd be eight people and you couldn't call it November 9. That'd have been hilarious. Oh, yes, yes. People had their logos all designed with November 9 on them and stuff. And then they have to scramble for a November 8, you know. Uh, I'm still calling it November 9 anyhow, so I mean, I don't do it now. <laughs> I know. You're, you're still stuck in the past. But it was a good final table, and uh, congrats to the guy. You really, really played hard. Excellent. All right, well, poker player Walter Fisher had ballooned to 245 pounds, eating great meals in casinos every day. He was hating how he looked, though, Chris, and was in a bad place financially. So his friends bet him one that he couldn't get down to 10% body fat within six months. Fisher shed 70 pounds with the help of a personal trainer and pocketed 600 large. Now, how does he pocket 600 large when the bet was a million? Does it mean after taxes? Uh, that I don't know. Actually, the story actually didn't clarify that. Yeah, so I assume either maybe, maybe there were some buyouts involved or maybe it was like taxes or maybe he's just he couldn't count or maybe he didn't have, care. He's like, hey, I'll take 600000 because I'm buff now. Because he really is buff now. So, uh, And I actually like this bet a lot more than just a weight loss bet because a weight loss bet is, is fairly easy. I don't want to say it's super easy depending on who you are, but it's fairly easy to just shed pounds. But – to get down to body fat. Now, that's healthier, right? So now now it's not just, hey, I, I got I got rid of, a, like, one of my packs and my six-pack. <laughs> uh, now, now I'm actually healthy, healthy. And uh, that, that's a lot harder to do. You can't, you can't cheat that. You got to really work hard at that. So, um, you know, if he really was trying to get healthy, which it sounded like he was from the story, uh, that was the way to go. Yeah, I, I, we hear about these weight loss bets all the time, but you're right, the, the, the body fat part, that makes it a little more interesting. And uh, it, it depends on how old you are, too. Like, if, if he was an older guy, it's, it's not easy to lose weight as you get older. You know, I mean, yeah. when I try to lose weight, I lose it because, you know, I just, I'll eat a certain amount of calories a day and just stick to it. But even maintaining, you know, you start to starve yourself trying to stay the same weight. You know what I mean? It's, it's ridiculous. You got to be incredibly active. Or have an unbelievable metabolism to lose weight. So, man, well, it's yeah. and what I was saying about easy was, uh, you know, we we all this this weight loss bet last not you, but uh, a lot of a lot of us did. I think it's like eight of us did it. Um, and you know, I was way ahead of it uh, ahead of time, so I didn't have to worry about it. But yeah, like you know, my wife and our, my friend Brent, uh, they were like, you know, coming home after work and you know working out and then jumping in the hot tub and then working out and jumping in the hot tub oh, and. You know, we they all decided that they could finally that they could easily lose two, three, four, five pounds doing that uh, in one night to to make weight at the, the final point. You, you can't do that with body fat, I don't think. I could be wrong, but no, you're probably right. I, I don't know anything about it. I just know losing actual weight is not that difficult. It's, it's easier for generally easier for men than it is for women. Um, True, but uh, yeah, pretty cool. That's it. That's the biggest one I think I've. I don't remember anybody winning a million dollars from weight loss, you know, a hundred thousand, whatever, but a million, that's huge. Well, he didn't, he didn't actually only won 600,000. So no, I know, but he paid. You still have a goal out there. Chris. Yeah. Can you imagine if we had friends like that, that had enough money to say, Hey, we were concerned about your health. Go lose 50 pounds and we'll give you half a million. Yeah. And friends when you're broke, right? Because this is the classic poker thing, right? I'm sure this guy had a lot of money at one point and went on a really bad streak and then had no money, (laughs) which I don't think anybody outside poker really understands. 
Um, but his, his friends still had money, and so just giving it to them, they're like, hey, you know, once you get healthy, we'll give you the money. So it's, it's kind of a cool way of doing it, I guess. So yeah, Really awesome. I wish I had rich friends like that, too. <laughs> Uh, Anti-updates, uh, if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Anti-Up in your home area, apply at antiupmagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have an immediate opening in Missouri slash St. Louis. Mostly St. Louis because the other side of Missouri is pretty much represented by our Oklahoma writer. So. Um, also, we have five upcoming uh, Anti-Up poker cruises on our schedule with deadlines for our September 17th sailing out of Galveston, Texas, closing in fast. All passengers on all sailings get a commemorative coin souvenir uniquely designed for each sailing by thepokerdepot.com, a one-month membership to advanced poker training, and a quick-reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. For more information, visit antiupcruises.com. i got to say, uh, our good friends at the Poker Depot keep outdoing themselves with the coins. I got the proofs for the Cuba coin this week, and they were beautiful, and all the information was correct this time. Hey! <laughs> Excellent. No, they look really good. I, I think our Cuban uh, sailors coming up next month are... Um, really good. Enjoy those coins. Uh, is a spoiler alert, or you want to tell me what it has on? No, no, you got the show on the ship like everybody else. Find out. <laughs> Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at anyupmagazine dot com. If they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with call the floor and hand of the week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a thirty minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Ken Allard writes in, he says, if someone shows a card while folding after action has happened, shouldn't everyone who has acted get a chance to change their action? Otherwise, anyone left to act has an advantage. Uh, well, this is why these people use it to get a penalty. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, you, you can't do a redo and go back because now you're opening up. And this comes up a lot in the poker TDA stuff is that, you know, you have somebody says, hey, I want to change the rule to prevent angle shot. And then when you change with their solution, the rule actually opens up 17 angle shots. So, you know, you have to think about it this way. If uh, if somebody knows now that, uh, you know, hey, if, if, if Worm's on the other side of the table, and knows that if he shows the card, then I get to redo my action. Um, he's probably going to show his card, right? And um, so that's going to cause a whole lot more trouble. So um, that's why this rule is this way, I believe. Yeah, it harkens back to a few weeks ago when we had the person who wrote in and said the guy flashed the ace of diamonds and I had the king of diamonds. And I therefore could bet more now knowing I had the nut flush or whatever. Um same thing here. Now that you've gotten the information that the guy flashed the ace of diamonds and you know you have the king of diamonds in your hand, you can't now say, oh, I want to be able to bet more now because I know the nuts is out, is out. I have it. You know, it's just that's why that person gets penalty. That's the justice there. And you just have to live with the fact that you didn't see the card and they did. You know, it's just it's not right to redo it. Actually, you can't go back in time and start over. So it just would be totally unfair that way. This way, it was a mistake, but you get penalized. Yeah, it's really unfortunate, but that's what happens. So, um, so just try not to flash cards, folks. <laughs> Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at anteupmagazine dot com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius dot com, poker's best social networking site and home to the Anteup Group discussions. This is James Mount. He said he was at a 1-2 no-limit hold'em table in an Atlantic City casino. The button was seat six, 
The person at seat 7 was not there, and seat 8 had a $5 chip out for his blind. Seat 9 made a small facial gesture as he looked at his cards, then grabbed $12 in chips. He thinks about putting it out, but then bets $2. After lots of calls around the table, it gets back to seat 9, and he raises to $12. My side of the table is confused, as we thought he called originally, but he was actually the big blind. There were a few people saying that it wasn't right and that he tried to build the pot. I mistook the small blind's $5 chip as a lone big blind. Should the big blind be allowed to raise? I just have issue how this whole thing happened and the dealer was dismissive of it. Elliot says, uh, you were trying to put too many thoughts into the seat nine's head in this spot. How do you know for certain he didn't realize he was the big blind and could raise after the action came around rather than than as you described. The dealer should not have been dismissive, uh, but there is no other way this could have been ruled. The dealer is supposed to get the players to put the blinds in. The dealer, possible in the spot, does not absolve any player of blind obligations, nor does it eliminate the option to raise from those players that posted their big blinds after the cards came out. Seat 9 did try to build a pot, this is true, but he did it within the rules, it appears. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I think this is this goes back to what, what a lot of players don't want to accept, but is true, is that poker is a game of perception and active participation, um, as Elliot often says. So, you know, uh, obviously the dealer should have made sure the blinds were correct uh, before the cards were dealt. He or she didn't, so that is a problem, but it's also the responsibility of the players to be looking around the table and figure out what the blinds are. Um, and if you do not do that correctly and the dealer does not do it correctly, it still has to play out the way it's supposed to. So you can't tell that player because he didn't have his blind out that he's not allowed to raise now, though that's an interesting way of getting people to put their blinds out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's just not the way it works. So, um, you know, when people obviously were perceptive and watching this guy grab his chips, he made a small facial gesture. So that people were actively following what's going on here but just not actively following enough to realize what was actually going on. And that's a problem for the players. Um, but certainly the, the dealer should have done a better job. Um, but if, uh, if you're the type of player that's always going to fall back on, well, the dealer should have done this or that, I'm going to tell you um, about 90% of rulings are going to go uh, not your way. <laughs> so uh, the sooner you get the, past the whole point that the dealer is there to do anything more than deal cards, uh, the better you are going to doing rulings and paying attention. So right. it's not great, but that's, that's uh, as mom says, life's not fair. Hey, you know, uh, we have the tournament ride-along for O'Malley's move. Uh, we're moving into episode three, but first let's hear what happened uh, in episode two and give them our thoughts. Hello again. I'm going to bet on the come. We make it 150 to go. Two players fold, but the button calls. A beautiful eight of spades hits the turn. If this guy has an ace, we're golden. There's 500 in the pot. We bet 350. He thinks for a time and then folds. So it's on to round two. Blinds are 5100, and we're in the MP with the ace of hearts, queen of hearts. We make it 400 to go and get two callers, the button and the big blind. The flop comes down the ace of clubs, jack of diamonds, eight of clubs. The big blind checks to us. There's 1300 in the pot, and we lead out for 750 leaving us about 47.50 behind. The button thinks for a short time before shoving. We know almost nothing about this guy. Early in the tournament, he seems to play a reasonable amount of hands. 
He's won two pots and lost a medium-sized one, but has not shown down a hand. He has 3,900 units. The big blind folds, and it's to us. What's the move? Uh, I may be laying down the best hand here, but I'm dubious because of the overshove. Uh, but we only have one pair and not even the best kicker. Uh, I, this is not a spot I like to put my relative tournament life on the line, so I'm folding. And not that anybody's surprised by that because I fold like a cheap tent. You know, uh, in a cash game, I might consider a call. Um, but I don't like going broke with one pair and second kicker. So I think you're right. I think the overshove and um, the fact that it's a tournament leads me to a fold here pretty easily. And it's still kind of early in the tournament, so I, I don't want to just waste my opportunity. Um, so I'm going to fold too. All right, here is episode three. Hello again. I've got to fold here. We still are plenty deep with 47 big blinds. As he tosses his cards into the muck, the jack of clubs flutters. Interesting. Maybe we were ahead. It's still round two. We've got 47.50 in chips, and a few hands later, in the big blind, we pick up pocket fours. There are two limpers. The small blind completes, and we check and see a flop of 7-7 seven, seven deuce rainbow. The small blind checks, and we lead out into the 400 unit pot for 300. An MP calls, but everybody else folds. This player has a stack of about 2,000 units. She's been in a lot of hands, but hasn't shown any cards calling her stack all the way down to one-third of her starting stack. Based on conversation at the table, we can gather that she is a regular in the room. The pot is 1,000 units, and the turn is an offsuit king. What's the move here? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And uh, first time submitter this week, Chris, yeah. Bobby Martin. And uh, he says he loves the show. This is my first email to y'all. And I love people to say y'all. I still <laughs> do that. I'm not truly Southern. Uh, and he says he hopes it gets, it, hope it gets on the pod. So it's on the pod. Now. Unfortunately, we picked our worst audio recording ever for Bobby Martin's hand here. But, uh, yeah, you're well, making the show, buddy. He was not the hand of the week on the Coco K show. So. <laughs> That's right. That was brutal. I wasn't even there for it. <laughs> of course you weren't. That's why you think it's the worst. Uh, all right. He says, I'm on vacation in a state that has casinos, uh, not Texas, so he must be from Texas. Um, although there is one casino, legal casino in Texas, uh, Kickapoo. Although yeah. they were Kickapoo. Um, anyhow, he says, hey, I decided to ride down to the card room and see what games are available. It's a weekday evening, so it's pretty slow, but I sat down at a 1-2 no limit game with eight players. Sat down with $200 and played pretty conservative for 45 minutes and built my stack up to 300 when I get involved in the following hand. Um, let's see. Uh, let's jump ahead here so I don't give you what he has here. Um, all right. So the under the gun player limps. We get two more callers, and we are in the cutoff with the king of diamonds, Jack of Hearts. Uh, I think I'll just call. I mean, I... King of Jack, King Jack is not a great hand, um, no. and it, it's it's not a hand I'm going to fold. If I'm going to raise, it's because I've understood the table, and if they understand that I'm that conservative that that Bobby says he is, then maybe I go and say, hey, you know what? If they call me, I've got a pretty decent hand here, uh, but basically in this situation, I might just limp and see if I hit it hard or see what the reaction is after the flop, kind of thing. Um, you know, if you hit the king. And it's an unraised board. 
you might be good because if you go into battle with King Jack in a raised situation, then you're worried about getting trapped by right. hitting the Jack and there being an ace Jack out or hitting the King and there being an ace King out or something like that. But in this case, if everyone's limping and you hit your King, you might be good. Um, but because there's limping, you know, all the other cards could hit them too. And you might be up against two pair or set. So I would always be cautious with limping with this hand, but I probably would limp with it, especially if I've been playing as long as he has. And I kind of understand the players a little bit. So I might limp here. Um, I'm not saying raising is wrong. It's not. It's not. It's just that it's not a great hand. And if you get any kind of heat behind you, you know, then you're going to have to just lay it down and you're wasting money. So I, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to limp with this hand too and see what happens. Oh. <laughs> you're folding? Yeah, easy fold here for me. I, they, this hand just gets people in trouble. Um, so, you know, and again, we always talk about this. Well, if we're going to play, you got to hit hard. And so what's hard here? It's going to be, what, King Jack? And then a, the third card is going to be a low card because it's a Broadway card. That's a problem. Um, you know, if you have three kings and you're worried about King, Queen, or King, East King, uh, if you get jacks, as you mentioned, you're worried about somebody having an ace jack out there. Um, and we also have an under-the-gun limper, which always scares me. Um, not scares me to the point where I fold everything, but I have to really kind of like where I'm headed with this hand um, to avoid that fear. And King Jack, I am never excited about. So I, I just see this as a, a – and we have three people already in. Uh, Wheel Imp, um, you know, if, if, if it doesn't get raised, we're probably going to have two, maybe three other people in this hand. Um, and then, like I said, we've got to hit it really hard and really hard at this point. I don't know what that is unless we flop Broadway and that's like, you know, we might as well put the $2 in the Powerball. We're going to root for that. So I think I'm just going to sit out and watch the fireworks here and, um, see what happens. But, uh, but you got 300 in front of you. It's $2 and people are limping. It doesn't matter what the deal is. It's because it's cheap doesn't make it a deal. <laughs> it wouldn't be hand of the week unless we came in for a, a hand or two with King Jack. I mean, come on. No, if I'm going to splash around, I splash around with other hands. I'll splash around with suited connectors. I'll suit around with suited one gaps. Things like that are what I'm going to splash around with. I am not splashing around with unsuited King Jack. It just it's it, it's not worth it. I don't think. Um, but I guess we'll see how this hand plays out. So, Well, Dan Negreanu reminded us that it's called the rookie hand because rookies think it's great and it's really not. So exactly, right? we've, we've, we've sent up our caveats. Now let's move on and assume we limp and see what happens. And Telly Saval is reminded that it's called Kojak, which means you're going to die. <laughs> While eating a lollipop. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, all right. Uh, our hero decides to call, hoping to see a flop with a hand that I'm uh, not in love with. All right. So at least he realizes he's not in love with this Good. hand. Good. Uh, we'll see what flop makes him fall in love with it because it's hand of the week, right? Uh, button calls, small blind calls, and the big blind raises another 10. Yeah, the gun calls um, as well as the next two players that were before us. So it's 54 in the pot before it gets to us, and it's now back on us. Ugh. <laughs> See? You guys, you just wasted $2. Two bucks. I guess that Bobby's going to waste more than $2 in this hand. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have tipped the waitress twice anyway, so. <laughs> um, nah, I don't know. 
So you really can't now, because now, now here's the problem, is what I think players are going to do. They're like, oh my gosh, there's $54 in the pot now, and you got a couple of people behind this that probably aren't going to raise, so I'm getting all these pot odds, right? Well, yeah, but now you've got all these people in, all these people are willing to call $12, and you get King Jack. Now, you know, you go back to what I said before all the raise. I mean, now I definitely have to flop Broadway to feel comfortable about this hand. I, I just don't know what else I want. And I'm not going to put $10 more now on that for that, that the low odds of that happening. Um, so I, this is even more likely that I'm going to fold now than I was for the $2. But well, we have 300 <laughs> It's only $10. So it's only 10 to win now if you've hit it really hard there's somebody out there who thinks his hand's going to be great and we hit it better you never know i'm just trying to play devil's advocate you never know i know that's the problem and then you wake up you you peel off 12 dollars every time you have king jack and then you look down and when you check out <laughs> or cash out the night you're like hey how come i have 100 i said down 200 that's what i played well well no you didn't <laughs> so we all right, I agree. Oh, I think we're going to lay it down. Get ourselves in trouble with this hand. So that's even worse than the slow lead, I think. Yeah, let's let's lay it down. All right, that's not going to happen. I don't think. <laughs> hand of the week. Thank you very much. Our hero says, "I call with favorable pot odds and the button and small blindfold." All right, well, at least a couple people get out of the way. He says, "I now have positions for the remainder of the hand, which I like, as you should." Uh, the flop comes to six of diamonds, nine of clubs, king of hearts. Uh, action checks to the player in front of us who makes it $10 to go. And he says, before I go on, I'll address that this player has been told multiple times to put his small blind or big blind in the pot. Been confused about whether it's his turn and turn over rags a few times. Uh, not over aggressive, but definitely a newbie. And before this hand started, he had roughly 115 to 120. I'm going to call. Are uh, you? Yeah, if I get heads up. Then I'll be able to, you know, play a little more aggressively or whatever. One, it sounds like this guy, if he had to be reminded to put his blinds in, he doesn't pay attention or he's new. So my hand could be crushing him. Um, or at the same time, he could be crushing me. I don't know. But I, it just feels like I'm going to make a call, 10 bucks again into what now is like $74. And uh, top pair decent kicker. In an unraised pot, like I, you know, but then it didn't get raised, so I don't, I don't know if, if that. See what that person does. If I'm going to call ten, if that person gets out of the way who raised, then I know I'm probably good. If that person goes crazy, then all right, then I might lay it down. But for that's ten dollars, right? So that's the gamble here: is that you had a big blind raised, which usually means you have a pretty strong hand with all those limpers, unless you thought you could just squeeze everybody out. That didn't work. So, yeah, so if that's what he was trying to do and that's why he's checking, then, yeah, you're right. Maybe now we can get heads up and I feel good about it. But more likely, I think he's probably – he possibly could be doing some kind of check-raise thing going on here because um, it's a pretty safe board. There's nothing he has to worry about giving a free card here, right? Well, let me ask so you something. So if now he raises to 100, then we just wasted that 10 bucks. So there's no way we're calling any kind of raise here, right? I'm going to disagree with your assessment that a check-raise is possible here, and here's why. We had very passive players all the way up until the big blind made his raise. We are not aggressively at, uh, playing at this table. So, one, this guy would only check raise if he knew that there was a possibility of a bet coming out. He took control of this pot by raising preflop, and now he's checked. He's afraid of the king or the nine or whatever else is out there. 
and that's why he checked first. There's no way this guy was thinking. That's oh, why I said he's not worried about giving a free card here because it's a pretty safe board here. There's, I mean, at worst, he's giving away a street card here, which doesn't seem to make too much sense. So, um, but he also may not be trying to check race. He might be just trying to like you know misdirect a little bit. Um, you know, what if he has flopped a set here? You know, maybe he's hoping to let somebody catch up. So, yeah, I'm thinking that. Uh... He might just call here. I, I, I'm thinking he's weary of that king because um, I don't. I feel, I feel like a check raise is only when you're positive people are going to bet, and with a bunch of people just limping along, I'm not worried about setting traps. These people are limping along and you're giving them free cards to turn their sets or make their straights or whatever. When they all limped and call ten, I feel like he's going to need to bet if he had aces here or ace king, and he's not. And I just feel like that guy. Might have something like tens or jacks or something. Then he's now he's worried about that king with all the limpers behind him that end up calling his raise. So I feel like we're ahead of at least the person who made that raise. I don't know about the person who just bet out, but I'm going to call the ten. Okay, very likely you're right. We'll find out. Yay! All right, our hero decides to call. Waiting to see what the rest of the table does. The big blind calls to ten dollars, and everybody else folds. So there you go. So the big blind just called. And now we're three-handed, and the turn is the king of spades. So our board now is six of diamonds, nine of clubs, king of hearts, king of spades. Uh, anybody raise your hand if you thought this was going to happen? Uh, everybody <laughs> hands up. Uh, big blind checks, and the other player bets ten again. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm I'm not just standing for ten again. Now, you know, I've got my three of a kind, but they're still vulnerable. So anybody has jack 10 can turn a queen on me. Um, so it's a vulnerable hand. I'm going to raise this person. There was a hundred basically in the pot after that 10. So I'm going to make it probably 60. Yeah. Uh, 50 or 60 to me. And enough of this $10 bets in the hundred dollar pots, one tenth the pot. It's just crazy. And uh, I'm going to set the price. Not going to let them set the price now. I still think I'm ahead of that that big blind. Yeah, well, I think at this point we are definitely ahead of the player that's leading the action, if you want to call $10 bets in the pots leading the action. <laughs> uh, um, so now we just worry about whether the big blind was doing what I was doing, which is sand, what I worried about, which was sandbagging. So um, I would rather find out right now. Then after the river, so um, and if we're right and this player doesn't have a hand, they're going to get out of the way. And it sounds like this newbie is going to probably call. Um, and I feel pretty good that her hand is um, better than that one. So um, I think you're right. I think uh, 60 sounds good, and we'll probably get our answer where we are. All right, let's do it. Uh, all right, let's see. Um, well, he, he wrote in really tiny fonts, so i got to make sure where I am here. Um, and, uh, he says, at this point, I think I'm in control, but also a call here entices more action on the river, so I just call. Uh, but the big blind folds, and we're heads up. Oh. Don't like so that at all. It didn't work out. I mean, at least we didn't get re-raised by the big blind, which is what we were worried about. Uh, and obviously, if he wasn't going to call with $10, he wasn't going to call we raised. Um, so no loss there, but... You know, if we are ahead of our opponent, and we got a lot, a lot of left go here, um, we gave up some value there by not racing, right? Yeah, I mean, or at least we, we, we could have maybe taken it down and not worried about this river for a cheap price that could now end up putting something up there that scares us. But yeah, you're right, value's lost. 
Um, all right, here says, I can't think at the time that I had him on a strong hand early. I figured him for a weak nine, uh, I'm sorry, weak king or a nine. Uh, the river is the seven of diamonds, or final board, six of diamonds, nine of clubs, king of hearts, uh, king of spades, seven of diamonds, and our opponent shoves for $80 into the 114 pot. Uh, well, I'm going to call. I, I mean, it, it, nothing changes with that seven to me. I don't think so. It was six, nine, seven, right? That's so it's possible. I don't really think somebody has eight, ten, or eight, five here. So yeah, doesn't make much sense. Those were gutters and stuff. So yeah, so I'm not really thinking that's coming. So king seven would really limp, and then call a raise. No, king nine, maybe king nine could have played it this way, but we would have known if he had raised. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know what this person has. Maybe he's got a pair over eights. And doesn't believe we have king over sevens. I mean, or eights or nines. I I, I don't see that either though because it seems like they would have raised preflop with like a pair of tens or jacks. So I'm not really sure what this person has. I, king ten maybe could be king queen again. King, so queen. You know, I mean, king queen would play it like this, especially if a newbie would. I mean, yeah. we're playing king jack and we're not a newbie. <laughs> yeah, but although that ten dollar bet though, you have three kings with a queen. Yeah, so a multiple pot. Wouldn't you bet more than ten? I mean, we weren't very sophisticated in our betting when we started. I mean, we were well, maybe you weren't, but I think most players were very cautious in their betting when yeah. they first started out. So ten bucks though. No, a hundred dollar pot. I understand. I understand. I think I would not be surprised if he shows over uh turns over King Queen here. Alright, well we're up a hundred on the night. So if I lose this, I'm still basically even. Um yeah, I, I don't think I can fold three kings with a jack kicker against somebody who seems like a newbie. Um, I just can't. I know for if, we're, if we lost, we lost. I don't see it as a set. Um, but then again, you're right. If the person is just cautious, he could have anything. Any two cards, you know, he could have a set of sixes. And now he's made a boat, you know, a turn. So I don't know. Um, but I'm going to call because it's it's a decent a decent amount of money out there, and I've got three kings with a jack, you know. Well, yeah, again, we've come this far, so I think we have to make the call. This is going to be the problem that we lose if we go back to the beginning when I said King Jack and why I went to fold. Just because this is what happens is, you know, every time we get new information, we have to reassess where we are. And now the information leads me to believe I can't lay this down for $80 um, against this particular opponent. Um, but I'm not going to be surprised if I lose this hand. Um, and if I do lose this hand, uh, I'm going to redouble my efforts not to play King Jack again, no matter what anybody on any podcast tells me to do. Hey, is that directed at me, pal? No, I, I don't know. I, it's directed to probably the other. Here, but. All right. Our hero says, I go into the tank for a few minutes and finally decide that the only real hands he could be playing are King-10 or King-Queen. I'm beat on one and still feel like a lot of other random possibilities can beat me in this hand considering my player. I call and actually said, show me King-Queen, anticipating a loss, but my opponent turns over 6-7. For kings and sevens. He's obviously a rookie as he announced sixes and sevens, but I looked down at the pot with three kings. Uh, I took down the pot with three kings. Very nice guy, and we chatted a bit afterward, and I can't help but think I played this hand wrong, even though I won it. I feel like a raise on the turn keeps me from making a hard decision. Looking forward to your input. That's funny, because he said pretty much exactly what we talked about. The raise on the turn was when we should have done it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Six, seven. Wow. Yeah, and that's why he shoved, because he wasn't realizing he had his own two pair. You know, a lot of people think that. They don't realize the kings on the board are your pair now, too. And a lot yeah, of beginners yeah. play that way. Um, Three pair, yeah. Wow. 
See, that's the thing. It's so that's why I always say it's so hard to play poker against the beginners because they don't understand what they have either, and you, they're so confident that you think you're reading their confidence, but their confidence is misinterpreted, and it's wow, wow. Well, but here's the thing, Tess. We go back to our turn where we thought we lost value. I don't know where this guy calls our raise on the turn because at that point he only had one pair in his mind, right? Even though he had two pair. Right. I think he got emboldened by the second pair, which really wasn't didn't help his hand at all. Well, it helped it a little bit, but um, and so I think maybe he folds that um, turn raise. Yeah, he he may have folded a turn raise. Oh. But. Yes. So a mistake on both parts gets us more money, really. Right. That's yeah. kind of cool now. So. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I got to find the name of that casino. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bobby. Oh, thanks for sending in on. your first Bye. hand. And we're glad you're a listener now and uh, hope this will keep you sending us stuff in the future. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Hall. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music Network.